Welcome to our discussion segment on the second one if. I'm Joe Parker. And I'm John Streeter. Let's get started. John, what a mess. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. This is why America should stay out of other countries' affairs. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So uh, hearing this podcast, I have a lot of questions. A lot of them. Excellent. <laughs> the first one is, can you explain to our audience how Mao was projecting himself with the lighter side of Soviet politics? Because <laughs> as we look back, Mao Zedong is responsible for more human deaths than any other dictator in recorded history. As far as we know, yes. As far as we know, yep. right. So, I mean... People cite Hitler, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, correct. They cite Stalin. They cite Stalin. They cite Stalin, excuse me, which is correct. Yeah. But then Mao is two times the amount of Stalin. Well, maybe it's not. Eighty-two. We're not million, sure about that much. Eighty-two million. Eighty million. Uh, it might be that high. It's it's yeah. certainly possible. Yeah. Just a slaughter. Oh yeah. Like I, yeah. So how how did we get from the lighter side of Soviet communism to what we know to be true? Yeah. Because one. There was not a whole lot of Western press access in China. So you didn't have reporters going around and documenting the horrors that did occur in the areas that Mao ruled. And the other way was that Mao in the early days was a genuinely benevolent, kind-hearted ruler. Very similar to someone a little bit later, Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam started his campaign to bring communism and liberation to the people of Vietnam by feeding the people. He played on the oppressive and abusive policies of Bao Dai and Godin Diem much the same way that Mao preyed on the oppressive policies of Chiang Kai-shek. So a lot of times, communists and other you know, dictators in waiting, they will use, Hitler did the same thing, they will use genuine crises and they will use mistakes of free enterprise and democratically elected leaders. They will use their mistakes to put themselves in a position where they can say, listen, just you know, give me power and I will provide you with bread and work. I will provide you with peace and freedom. I will provide you with everything that you need. And that's what Mao did. You also have the reality going forward that a lot of people didn't really care what was going on in China partially due to latent American racism against Asians and Pacific Islanders, part of it due to the fact that, well, it's happening over there, who cares? And part of it being, well, we kind of agree with some of Mao's policies, so let's not talk about the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward and, you know, kind of the dirty side of recent Chinese history. So Which, get, you know, I'm sure doesn't happen today any, you know, anymore, right? Of course not. No, no, no. Of course not. So it's confusing to me for a lot of reasons. Because you're but, applying logic and reason. <laughs> well, I, we were aware what was going on in the Soviet Union. To an time. extent. Okay. Now, as foreshadowing for season five, we're going to talk a little bit about Joseph Stalin. And one of the things we're going to talk about is regarding the Holodomor, American reporters were in the Ukraine talking about this, reporting on this. And people here in the United States, press barons, said, we're not publishing this stuff. Because we agree with Stalin's ideology and we don't want the American people to learn about this or they will realize what a horrible, horrible system communism is. The same thing was happening in regards to Mao's early atrocities before the Civil War. So the American press corps, the leaders of the American press corps. Yeah, the New York Times actively suppressed Walter Durante's reporting on the Holodomor. And I believe it was, it was either the San Francisco Chronicle or the Los Angeles Times on the other side of the country, actively suppressed reports on Mao Zedong's mistreatment of his own people. Were they doing that 
believing that their version of communism would be different? Or I, I can't speak to what was going on in the, with the West Coast papers. Yes, the New York Times, they wanted or they believed that their version of, they didn't call it communism, their version of world socialism would be more benign and would be real socialism. But I because after were, all, that, you know, it, what happened in the Soviet Union, that's not communism. What happened in China, that's not communism. But, but anyway, I, I don't want to get too deep into all this. No, no, no. I'm Let's just trying to understand. for season five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to understand. I, I, in terms of the, I mean, some of this had to get out, though. I mean, Churchill. And some of it did. I mean, Ch- Churchill actively talked about what was going on in the Soviet, what, what Stalin was doing and, and all Not that. at the time. That was in his books published once the Cold War had started. Okay. During World War II, Stalin was Uncle Joe. And during World War II, we're supporting Chiang Kai-shek and we're right. basically ignoring Mao Zedong because Mao Zedong was not a huge factor in the war against Japan. Yeah. But let's jump to after the Cold or at, I'm sorry, let's jump to after World War II in, into the Chinese Civil War because that's we'll come back to the whole communism thing. In right, the next, right, right. I'm just trying to understand. It's, it's just uh, surprising. And I was I was asking all of that because it seemed like General George Marshall walked into something that he should have been aware of. Like, why would he not do everything he could to push back against what Mao Zedong was trying to accomplish if he was, in fact, aware of how dangerous the ideology was versus... Well, I don't know that Marshall knew how dangerous the ideology was. Marshall spent most of the 1940s fighting and winning World War II. I don't... I mean, he may have been aware. I can't speak to that. But the reality is he wanted to be the great peacemaker in Asia that he already was in Europe with the Marshall Plan and things like that, and obviously having won World War II, he wants to basically come in and do the same kind of thing in East Asia, not really understanding the players. He didn't understand Chiang Kai-shek, who was not, I don't want anyone to think that he was this wonderful guy. Right. He was just as as flawed and sinful Brutal. and barbaric and cruel yeah. as Mao Zedong was. What was Truman's aim in this? So Truman sent him over to China to try and speak through a peace, uh, to try and accomplish peace. Yeah. Uh, what? Wh- why? Why did Truman care about that? Because he wanted to end the war. We've just gone, the world has just seen this massive war, World War II, and now conflict is brewing in China. He wants to keep China democratic. Best way to do that is to bring the communists into the democratic process, similar to how he was doing in Italy and in France and in West Germany and in other countries uh, in Western Europe. He wanted to do the same thing in China. So I guess my a better way to ask it was why why was that his aim for for China and Italy and all that? like what what, what because was because if purpose? you keep if you keep the communists at part of the democratic process odds are they'll lose okay not always you also have to pair a democratic process with economic prosperity and that was probably we don't know because it never got that far the second part of Truman's plan for China. Remember that before World War II, China was America's largest trading partner, just like it is now. And the United States, the whole reason we got into the war against Japan, the whole reason Japan attacked us at Pearl Harbor, is because we were cutting off the resources to the Japanese military that would let them win their war against China. We didn't want China to fall under Japanese control. We also don't don't want it to fall under Soviet control. And Mao Zedong at the time was a Soviet puppet. So how do you do that? You bring the communists into the democratic process led by Chiang Kai-shek with a communist party participating in elections and things like that. And then you blanket China with American trade, with American money, with American goods, like we did in Western Europe. And that will keep, we hope, China free okay. and prosperous and democratic. 
Okay. I don't know if that was Truman's plan. I haven't read anything about that, probably because he didn't get to that point, like he did in Europe with the Marshall Plan. So playing this out, if Mao were put into that position, where would... Sorry, what position, just to be... If Mao were put into a position where communism had to... Uh, there had to be a vote for it. It was put, it was put into the process. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not what the what-if scenario. Is, so are we, are we moving beyond the whole, there's two Chinas, kind of like there were two Germanys? I just want, I just want to be clear on what you're, what you're asking. Where, where would communism go? Like, let, let's say we're talking about two Chinas. Do you ever think that it would take over the free China? I mean, as Waldron said in, in the What If book, and as I've covered in the podcast, mainland, sorry, free China would have been the bulk of mainland China sure. and today the, uh, the island of Taiwan, which is, by the way, an independent country, John Cena. Uh, it absolutely <laughs> is. My gosh. Northern China, Manchuria, that area, that would have been the, the communist China, the puppet, basically completely sure. dependent on communism. So would there have been a communist party in Free China? Is that what you're asking me? What I'm specifically asking is would there have been eventually, in your view, a communist push into China, all of China again? Would it have been renewed if allowed to exist? Well, probably not because China absent – basically I'm going to call it Manchuria just because that's the region that it was in. So Manchurian China versus the rest of China, Manchurian China being communist would not stand a chance militarily against a free rest of China okay? unless it had Soviet help. The, yeah, so let's... But no, this, just like the Soviets didn't give the East Germans permission and help in conquering West Germany, I don't think they would have done that with China. I don't okay. think they would have given Mao and Manchurian China, communist China, the money, the resources, the assistance to then conquer free China. Okay. I doubt that very much. The only reason why I was asking is because when, when I think of Vietnam, I think of they were split in half and then the North advanced South with the Soviet and Chinese support. Right. So, so I, I but, just that was, was a, but that was a minor commitment. Korea and Vietnam are geographically very small right, areas. Right. China is almost as large as the United States. I think it's a little yeah. bit small. It's, yeah. it's larger than, the, I believe, the lower 48. So that would have been a commitment to rival the Second World War in Europe for okay. the Soviets. It wasn't a commitment that you think they were willing oh, to no. take on. I, okay. don't, I don't think so. And, even, and if they did, it would have involved nuclear weapons. And then you bring in the United States because that's the only way. You can't win a land war in Asia. Right. I, that, that's just – that's not possible. In the podcast, you talked about the how communist China, if contained in the North, would have not stopped the spread of uh, com- communism but hindered it a little bit. Hindered it a lot. Yeah. yeah. So uh, can, can you elaborate on that? Because the ideology was obviously in the Soviet Union and it's bent on expansion. Yeah. Do, do you think that what we, have, what we have seen in reality would have, have eventually come to pass in some way? I mean, I think the biggest difference would be in what was then called Indochina, what today we'd call Southeast Asia. So it was specifically communist Chinese influence that brought communism to Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. Those areas, probably, if communism in China was confined to a small area in the north, and Chiang Kai-shek and his successors were ruling a democratic society in the south, which is the part that neighbors Indochina, I don't think you would have seen the kind of communist insurgency that you saw with Khmer Rouge and certainly not with the Viet Cong and the Viet Minh. Now, would there still have been a nationalist movement in Vietnam? Yes, absolutely. Ho Chi Minh still would have tried to free his people, probably successfully, 
from the French in the early 1950s, culminating at Dien Bien Phu. But he probably would not have been a communist. He probably would have been a small-D Democrat. He probably would have believed in democracy. Remember, Ho Chi Minh was not an ideological communist. He was a communist of convenience. He turned to communism because the West wouldn't help him free his people. The West are holding up the French regime in Indochina. So the opponents of those regimes become communists because that's the only way to get help from the other superpower in the world. Interesting. The Soviet Union. Okay. Now, the Soviet Union is not capable, if there's that free China barrier, of getting supplies and men and equipment from the Soviet Union to Indochina. So it's entirely possible that the United States would have said, yeah, we'll help Ho Chi Minh because at least he's better than that, you know what, Godin Diem, who's massacring his own people simply because they're Buddhist. We supported him in the Vietnam War because he wasn't a communist. Well, if Ho Chi Minh's also not a communist, I would hope we would see, yeah, let's let the Vietnamese people lead themselves or govern themselves. Let's support him, get rid of this French a-hole and, sorry, French-backed a-hole. French are wonderful people. French-backed a-hole is, anyway. (laughs) In terms of Chinese culture, if this had played out the way that you talked about in the podcast, right now, when we think about Chinese economy historically, Mm -hmm. a lot of the innovations have come as a result of technology being adopted. That's a nice word to to, to use (laughs) co-opted. Appropriated. Appropriated, where technology from other parts of the world is taken and then engineered in China yeah. and made that their own. So that process creates gaps in the technology. So you have old culture still in China while you while you have this new new world tech. I actually have a friend who was in China for I think 11 years and he he said that on one corner you could see people in suits and 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 ties and modernized mm-hmm. and then on other one you could see someone who's wearing an outfit that's a hundred years old. I mean, yeah. just, 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 just the style in, in that gap there. Do you think that that would have existed if trade had been modernized with us, the Great Britain, all, all of these, would you, do you think that the technology and the innovation would have originated or begun to come out of that culture rather than it being co-opted? It's possible, but you have to recognize that a lot of East Asian cultures, they cling to their traditions much more firmly than we do. I mean, look at India. India has evolved as a democratic society, and they have kind of the same, the same kind of situation as your friend was describing in China, where you have very modern areas, especially in the big cities, and then you have very rural areas outside the cities. So the short answer is, I don't know. I will say I think that if you had a free and an open society, I think there would be less of a dramatic shock when you go from a rural area to an urban area in China, where, as you, as you said, I mean, it's night and day. You have areas of China that don't have electricity, that don't have running water, that don't have indoor plumbing, things like that. And then you have these mega cities that look like something out of like Star Trek and right. things like that. So that Thomas Friedman talks about how, oh, China is so wonderful and so far ahead of us. Well, okay, but you go to, you know, go 20 miles outside Guangzhou and it's a completely different country. So like with all this what if stuff, I can't say anything with certainty. It would make sense to me that there would still be some cultural differentiation, but it would probably be less severe than it is as a result of communism. Would China be a world power? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. With, With their natural resources and their manpower resources. Absent a cultural revolution and a great leap forward that killed hmm, 60, 70 million people, absent a one-child policy that aborted another, I think, 50 million people, 
China's already at, I think, what, 1.6 billion? Take it to 1.8 with a free market, they would probably, economically, they would certainly be more powerful than the United States if they were a free country. A truly free country instead yeah. of this mixed economy. Not thing like this that, hybrid model yeah, that currently yeah. exists where the, val- where the currency is the devalued. Yeah, and, and they have concentration camps in Xinjiang. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a departure, but okay. would if, this, if the scenario that you talked about in the podcast played out, how would that have affected the Soviet Union? Would that have done anything to oh, them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, it, it would have – if they'd had to prop up a Maoist regime, that would have drained – a lot of money, a lot of resources out of the Soviet Union from a very early stage. So you would have seen the gradual economic weakness that develops over the uh, late 60s into the 70s and culminates in the 80s with the end of the Soviet Union happening probably, possibly, maybe, who knows, even sooner. Okay. Yeah, it would not have been good for the Soviets to have to prop up yet another flailing communist puppet state and would the soviet union have lasted as long as it did if probably it, not yeah or if it had it would have been weaker yeah i mean the reality is in terms of trade in terms of of generating hard currency the soviets were never able to maintain a budget surplus they were always running deficits they were always either borrowing or just rampantly inflating their currency to try and keep up with the spending on their military and the spending on their puppet states elsewhere in the world. It's why ultimately the Soviet Union collapsed. Didn't collapse mm. because of, you know, anything that we did. We kind of increased the pressure under Reagan in the late 80s, as we've talked about again before on this podcast. But the Soviet Union collapsed because of internal economic conditions. Sure. So as you were writing this and reading through this, uh, as a historian, is there one thing about this that particularly stood out to you in terms of its effect on world history? The warning. I think okay. that we never know when we get involved in other countries that we don't necessarily have a clear understanding of the cultural differences between them and us, of the political history. We don't know what seeds we're planting. And these are seeds that, I mean, for George Marshall, they sprang up very quickly, but he couldn't have foreseen China today being the threat that it is economically, politically, in terms of national health and global health that he helped inadvertently to create. America usually, usually acts with the best of intentions on the world stage. But especially in recent years, we have tended to kind of wander in to countries militarily, diplomatically, economically, that we really don't understand or potentially have no business being involved in. Yep. And we don't know what kind of potential problems we're creating for ourselves and for the people who live in those countries down the line. I mean, another example is in the late 70s, you know, in Afghanistan, we're helping the, the Afghan people, best of intentions, resist the Soviet Union, very important. They want to be free. We want to help them be free. We give money to a Saudi billionaire named Osama bin Laden who uses it to build al-Qaeda. And those chickens come home to roost 20, 30 years later. Yeah. So be careful, I guess, is the warning of history from this particular what if and countless others. Yeah, of course. But yeah, be careful of, of how the United States and other countries, not just the U.S., how we act on the world stage. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of the second What If episode. I'm Joe Parker. And I'm John Streeter. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It really does help. Thank you and see you all soon.